This podcast features explicit language and spoilers. And welcome to Better Late Than Never. My name is Dave, and I'm your host. This is a movie podcast where, sometimes, I get a friend and check out a movie from a genre, era, or creator that I don't normally watch, but want to explore more. This week, I am joined by my friend Drew, and we are watching a movie that we have never seen before, Coffee, from 1973. This movie is from a genre that I want to explore more, black exploitation cinema. Drew, welcome to the podcast. Always a pleasure being here. And welcome to season two. Woo! Yeah, so this is not going to be the first episode to air, I think, but it is the first one that we are officially recording as quote-unquote season two of Better Late Than Never. Now, um, for our audience, what marks this as season two? Well... Normally, this is a podcast where I invite a friend to watch a blockbuster cult favorite or otherwise culturally significant film that they've never seen before. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I haven't seen it either. But in season two, it's not just about introducing my friends to major films that they've missed. I'm expanding the definition to also include, as I said in the intro, different kinds of movies from sources that I don't normally get to see. So genres that I'm not normally prone to watch but want to check out. Maybe uh, some cult auteur who I don't know very well, mm-hmm. foreign films, films from, you know, the types of creators who don't necessarily get the the full Hollywood treatment. So like minorities, women, great films from before 1940, yeah. silent films, whatever, you know, anything, you know, rom-coms. I don't normally watch a lot of rom-coms. Maybe there'll be an interesting one there. Cool. Anything like that. So, yeah, there you go. And so this time, we're checking out black exploitation cinema. Now, Drew, you have never seen this movie, correct? That's correct. I haven't. What is your experience with black exploitation cinema? Yeah, so um, I I feel like I have a very cursory familiarity with the term black exploitation okay. cinema. Right. So let me interrupt you real quick. I want to throw out a disclaimer here. So, as may have been clear already, I am white. Drew, I don't know if you're comfortable with sharing that information or not. Sure, I, I'm I'm white, but Hispanic white. Okay, so we're going to be checking this out from that perspective, basically. So, mm-hmm. please go on. Yes. So, um, I I'm I'm familiar with what that genre i have an impression of what that genre entails there's a couple of things one um you know movies that come to mind when i hear that are shaft 
the car wash uh, kind of era of 70s funk. But I'm not sure exactly, one, like what the essential components are to a film that you would label it as black exploitation, mm-hmm. And uh, specifically, the word seems to entail that, that someone's being exploited. So I don't really... Uh, I'm not sure I fully understand the nuance of the intended terminology and what it's trying to get at in terms of what what the what's the exploit? Yeah, what and what's the genre? Like what, right. what are movies that fall into that? Right. Again, like Shaft, I know, you know, I know that there's a lot a lot of what I associate with this is you have um black lead characters who are uh usually involved in some kind of a uh, you know, crime chase or street uh conflict maybe there are pimps and drug dealers and gangs and 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 stuff happening but you have your lead character who's there to you know play the part of the not the not the police officer but the rogue street smart hero who's there to kind of take the bad guys down in a semi-vigilante style um you know it's also um again height of the kind of 70s style of um you know you hear a lot of funky music in the background Mm -hmm. is is what i'm expecting um but again i don't know if i don't know if all the elements that i just mentioned are required Mm. in every black exploitation film what the elements are that are like the minimum requirements to term a film that are uh, i don't know i don't i don't happen to know that okay okay so i have at this point done a little bit of research not a lot mm-hmm. but a little bit of research however as is the case in season one where i haven't seen the film and i have not seen the film in this case i write down any predictions that i have ahead of time so that they're ready to go for this part of the podcast so here's what i wrote down as predictions for me like you, I don't have a lot of exposure to the black exploitation genre, but I have seen a few movies that are parodies of black exploitation films. Specifically, I've seen Black Dynamite. Oh. That's a recent film, and it's a parody of black exploitation. There's also uh, the Quentin Tarantino movie Jackie Brown. Yeah. Which is not a parody, but more of an homage. But right. So. I haven't seen anything that is purely of that genre because I do. I agree with you. I feel like this is a genre that flourished most in the 70s. And that's, you know, if you really want to dig deep into what is officially at least the the most pure versions of that genre, that's where you want to look. But I've seen, you know, kind of like through the prism of modern pastiches of that genre, maybe a few of the qualities of it. So here's yeah. what I'm expecting. Similar to what you predicted but maybe a, a couple of differences so especially going off of the things black dynamite made fun of i am expecting there to be um crooked cops okay and particularly crooked white people cops mm-hmm. i feel like even if they're not the main bad guy a bad guy that will be present will be like the man yeah. you know like the the, the racist white government and system that's keeping people down. I think there's going to be... So, you know, definitely racist white people. Yep. 
but also so you mentioned um that there would be crime pimps drug dealers and that the hero might be a rogue street smart person who takes them down kind of vigilante style i agree Mm -hmm. but what i wasn't sure of i was like is this going to be something where the hero is taking down criminals vigilante style or the hero is a criminal and like rises through the ranks you know kind of like american gangster right you know or any any sort of crime movie like the godfather goodfellas like you know it's about the appeal of the criminal lifestyle yeah we have like an anti-hero i'm not sure my impression though i mean especially given the way black dynamite goes is that um it'll actually be kind of a conservative message where it's it the hero is the vigilante right you know who rejects drugs and rejects crime and rejects violence yeah you know so that that's what i'm expecting right um and then just in a more um less themes and uh, more on the technical side, I think there are going to be a lot of continuity errors and low <laughs> production value and just like a lot of, you know, the the, the B-movie flaws yeah. that you might see. Uh, there are certainly plenty of those in Black Dynamite, so they must have been making fun of something. Um, will there be a, going along with uh, who the bad guy is, will there be kind of a black empowerment message, I think? And going back to what we just discussed, will that be a wholesome message or will it be a, a, you know, kind of like you have to rise any way you can kind of criminal empire message? I don't know. Mm. But uh, I, th- I think there will be a theme of black empowerment. Yeah. And then in this movie in particular, because this is coffee and I at least know that the lead is female, will it be kind of a feminist angle? Right. I'm guessing yes. Okay. And I don't know if I mentioned, I think there will be Crooked Cops. Did I say Crooked you Cops? You did already? say Crooked okay, Cops. Okay, I'm pretty sure Crooked Cops are going to feature this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, also, I mean, okay, so uh, black exploitation cinema, I think, are usually action movies, I'm kind of guessing. So I yeah. think there's going to be some violence, maybe some sex. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, a B movie. So it's going to it's gonna have those kinds of elements. Yeah. Kind of appeal to the masses kind of stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so those are our predictions kind of generally right. for what we think the genre is about. Let's dig down onto Coffee, the movie in particular. So I want to start with who do we think directed this movie? I have uh, no idea. I also did not know. Who is the star of this movie? Pam Greer. Pam Greer, yes, I knew that. Um, do you know anything about Pam Greer? Uh, I, know, I know that she is famous for this role and others like it in this era. I believe her, she's famous. She's most famous for Foxy Brown. Foxy Brown. Yeah. And is she also the lead of Jackie Brown? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I haven't seen Foxy Brown. I had seen Jackie Brown. And part of what they're playing on is that she's this same icon, but she's a little older. Like, yeah, well, it's also that Quentin across. Tarantino thing where he finds the, uh, the actors who were prominent in the movies that he loved as a kid so yeah. and and puts them in his movies so i think that's some of what's going on there and also it being a black exploitation homage yes uh, you know getting her to be in it was sort of a a coup yeah i mean it's it's cool that you mentioned quentin tarantino because i feel like the black exploitation flavor is inherent in a few of his works 
right? Yes. Um, that is something he's kind of known for. Yeah, he, he, he likes to borrow from that style and era. Which is um, part of what has me interested in it, because I keep hearing that in reference to Quentin Tarantino movies, but I'm like, well, maybe I should check out the original shit, you know? Right, right. Yeah, so so Pam Greer, um, I feel like I hear Pam Greer mentioned a lot as sort of this uh, this sexual icon and that you know she's some kind of a standard for for black female lead beauty yeah you 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 hear her as a revered kind of sex 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 symbol symbol. yeah so an icon an icon and and i'm interested to see coffee because i feel like this is her in her prime yeah in she's in the in the middle of earning that reputation with a film like this so you know, I think I think we can expect her to show up in a sexy way. There's going to be some sexy times in this movie. Yeah, yeah. I'm really curious to see what kind of personality her character has because I can see it ranging from. I guess the biggest question I have coming into this is: Are we going to see her more on the side of this kind of uh, stereotype of? of female vulnerability or is is her part of her appeal going to be she's far in the other direction and she's this strong independent badass like it's gotta be the latter right yeah i I would think so that's part of the reputation attached to the kind of movie icon she is it is but but you know part of me is is curious to see how that comes through just knowing where we were socially at those times, mm. you know, um, I, I'm coming into this wondering, are we going to see that strong message of black empowerment that you mentioned? Or is there is are the progressive messages going to be somewhat muted because the times were a little bit, you know, the the there is a conservative air around that is a little bit different. I don't know. Well, but this genre is, you know, the, the creative force that's pushing against that, right? You know, it's, it's this conservative racially regressive era and black exploitation movies were kind of the, the outlet for all the, you know, artistic ideas that weren't getting traction in Hollywood, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's got to have it might even be radical by our standpoints now nowadays, I don't know. Cool. Yeah. Cuz I mean, you know, it's all that pent-up energy finding release somewhere. Yeah, that that sounds right. Do you have any insight on the just the word itself, black exploitation? Like who's being exploited? What's being exploited? What is that how did that phrase get um, coined? Let's get into that in part 2. Okay. Uh, I do have a little bit on that, but um, we'll we'll talk about that in the second part. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I th- I think she's going to be a uh, strong, action oriented. She's going to be the street smart rogue that we were talking about. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm expecting, anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I I expect to see that too, and I, I I'm guessing she's going to be some kind of private investigator. She's going to have a gun, uh, or maybe she's. You know, undercover. She's got to go undercover at some point, right? As a right? hooker, yeah. yeah. I was sort of thinking the same. Yeah, um, but I wonder what her story is. Like, where does she come from? What's her angle and motivation in the story? And another, another uh, thing I'm interested to see. You know, there's a lot of talk in Hollywood when you have 
you know, you have roles that are built for someone from a specific background. And, you know, there's there's all this talk about whitewashing characters and roles uh, in in films. And I'm interested to see if we're going to get just like the sense that, you know, these characters aren't wearing makeup to make them look more white. You know, there's the there's. I well, fe- do you mean to look more white or more generally to um, fall into the prevalent standards of beauty at the yes. time that were mostly influenced by white people, at least in the mainstream? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I guess what I'm getting at is, is like, is the directing made to make this person seem closer to that standard of beauty that or will this be more of a by... I'm black and I'm proud? Yeah, and, uh, and vision of beauty. Yeah, I should. I feel like I I should expect that it's more of that I'm black and I'm proud, and and that this standard of beauty that Pam Greer sets is revered because it's pure and and true and and such. Right. It's it's not about trying to fit into whiteness. It's about finding its own thing. Yeah. Define define beauty by the standards of of blackness blackness yeah yeah um i do expect that we're gonna see pam wearing some provocative clothing whether that's just from her going undercover or if that's just kind of the style that natural hair natural hair yeah it's probably you know we'll see some afros for sure that's the era for it certainly yeah yeah um interesting point yeah i i think you're gonna be right on that regard in which direction that that probably we're seeing it'll be more. about embracing blackness yeah 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 i mean th- that's the impression i get of the genre at the moment i guess we're gonna find out but uh that's my guess i also wonder how my impression not being that familiar with and not having seen either coffee or foxy brown is that the characters in my mind the char- i can't distinguish the two characters that well we're not gonna be seeing foxy brown so we're not gonna wind up being able to contrast them we won't yeah i mean we can try watching it another time but it won't wind up on the pod and if you have a good recollection of it you could you could kind of look at you know reflect on jackie brown and you know what kind of synced up or called back to coffee i'll do my best um it's been a while since i saw that though yeah I, i i think i saw jackie brown too a long time ago closer to when it came out yeah Bring it back to this movie and our predictions about it specifically. Um, are there any specific quotes or lines you're expecting? As far as quotes or lines, I don't know specific lines from coffee. I, I can't say that I've heard a line where I know that it's from this movie. That said, you know, there's certain phrases that I that I might put a bet on hearing in a movie just by virtue of it being in this genre. Okay. Um, Lay it on me. So, you know, this is this is from Shaft, but I, I feel like we're going to hear people calling each other motherfucker or like, you motherfucker. Yeah. Something like that. Um, you know, I think we're going to get that. And we're, we're both on the same page that we're probably going to hear the N-word 10,000 times in this movie. Oh, um, yeah, maybe. Actually, I'm not really sure. Okay. Yeah, I I wonder how I wonder how that the use of of that word's going to go. My I, guess I, is it's going to occur a lot. I'm in this era. 
See, I'm not sure if at that time we're going to hear that as much as we're going to hear like my brother. Okay. Things like that. Because I feel like we're in the time of the Black Panthers and the, the, the rise of, of, hey, let's assemble as a dignified collective and like I don't know if we're gonna be on the side of yeah I see what you're saying I think you're right about that and like historically and culturally especially about what that movement was about but I think given that we expect this to be kind of an action movie centered kind of on the world of crime and like criminals and like low lifes and you know it maybe our hero won't use it as much so maybe Pam Greer will be you know above it and trying to you know uh, avoid using it but i i think at least a lot of the characters were yeah. portrayed as good guys or bad guys and certainly you know like i said crooked cops white right repressive the man characters i are think definitely we'll gonna expect use that to hear those white characters use that term non-ironically i'm just curious about how much that's gonna be a, a you know a, a common phrase or if it's gonna be if its use is going to be a little bit different than you might expect in like a a modern day right, street well, gangster let's, set, let's see. Um, so I'm I'm curious about that. Um, those are what else? Oh, I I feel like I feel like we're gonna hear the word mama. Hey mama, yeah, like yeah. hey mama, or like even even Pam Greer's character saying something like mama like or something like that. oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah you know yeah. um you know like she she a bad mama yeah <laughs> like something like that i you know yes yeah yeah i, I think we're gonna hear some stuff like that yeah okay that's it that's all i got for kind of like phrases and things yeah um i, I also think uh the, the phrase the man is gonna come up mm-hmm. but uh that's about all i have i didn't have any anything much else besides that um I guess lastly, before we get going, does the movie itself, we've gotten into it a little bit, but just to drill onto it, does this movie itself have any kind of reputation to you? No. Okay. For me, um, most of the reputational stuff that I've heard is that this is one of the best and most popular of the black exploitation genre. So mm-hmm. that, and then also that Pam Greer is very good in it. Cool. So. We'll see if that holds up. And other than that, any other predictions or thoughts before we watch coffee? Yeah, um, a couple of uh, last ones to toss in the mix. Just, you know, I want to get these all out there. Yeah, yeah. Um, So this goes back to a theme that uh, is kind of a running theme throughout the pod. If you guys have been listening to season one at all, um, this gets mentioned every now and again. But what's one thing that we're going to notice that's going to make the piece stand out for what era it was filmed in and the set in cars the cars i think we are certain to see boxy cars cadillacs those boat kind of cars in action i feel like are ubiquitous in this genre yeah Uh, oh i I mean we're there's got to be a 70s pimp right yeah i mean i don't know if we're gonna see hydraulics bumping up and down i feel like that comes later but uh or maybe not i don't know um you know with the car kind of going i know what you mean yeah yeah I, I don't. That comes later, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think so. But we're going to see that style of of Cadillac for sure. Yes, um, yes, yes. Let's see. I had that. We already talked about. I'm not sure how how she's going to be as far as stoic or effeminate or 
combination of those two. Like, what's her femininity going to be? and Or is she just kind of hard and strong, you know? I'm going to guess we're going to see both sides of her. Yeah. You know, it's it's going to be, she's got her, her hard, strong public face. And then when she's in private with her, you know, her family or her loved ones of whatever stripe, she finally is able to let her guard down and we see her uh, her vulnerable side. Yep. That's what that, I'm guessing. That sounds right. Uh, my last thing, and this goes back to something I already mentioned, is... You know, we're talking about who who's the bad guy. Yeah. Um, and I had a couple of different possibilities for that. I'm going to list them here, and I'm going to I'm going to select one. I'm going to select one guess from among these options. Okay. I invite you to do the same. All right. Or throw another one in the mix if you feel like I, I don't have it on the list. Um, I think the our main villain is going to be either a pimp, a robber, a drug dealer or some kind of gangster mobster. Uh, and I think out of those four, I'm going to go with the gangster mobster, maybe kidnapping people and things like that. Okay. Now, having done a little bit of research on the film, this uh, my guess here is not going to be pure or untainted okay. by that knowledge. Um, but thinking back as best I can to, you know, my naive self and where I was, what I would have guessed would probably be drug dealer, but that that's gangster, you know, that separating that from gangsters. I kind of had them right next to each other as like drug dealer, gangster, yeah. etc. Cause I do think, I think this is gonna, of, of the options we listed as to what kind of movie it will be. I think this is going to fall on the vigilante side as opposed to the, uh, rising, through the criminal world side our main character is not going to start as a criminal and then then come to the good side we're going to see right because i feel like you know it's either gonna you know you either have the vigilante or it's um maybe uh the criminal trying to go straight but they keep dragging him back in yeah kind of style i think it's gonna be the former okay right we're gonna have just a straight up bad guy yeah who's who's the foil for our main character who is not a straight up bad guy yeah. Um, all right. Anything else? That's all I got. All right. Well, in that case, let's watch this. Oh, yeah. Coffee. Let's go. This is the part where we're watching the movie. And now it's done. Coffee. So what'd you think? It was really good. I liked that a lot. Yeah. I think I'm going to wind up watching a lot more of Pam Greer's films after this. Mm-hmm. Dude, she was really good in this. Yeah, she was awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll get more into that in a minute. But uh, first, let's uh, get into a little bit of what we do in part two, and that's talking about backgroundy and history stuff. So I want to put out a disclaimer again, in particular for uh the discussion we're about to have which is a little historical um we are not film critics or film historians we are just amateurs we are two idiots who like watching movies and then talking about them yep that being said i did a little bit of research you know basically just googling around a little bit yeah look at you yeah i know right and uh this is what i learned so to answer your question from part one what is blaxploitation 
The word, as you asked, is uh, a portmanteau of black and exploitation. So I guess a good place to start is what is exploitation cinema? And um, according to the quick and dirty online research that I did, so an exploitation movie is a movie that does not necessarily have a lot of artistic uh what's the word i'm looking for not motivations but uh it doesn't have higher aims right it's not trying to it doesn't necessarily ground philosophically or an exploitation film is a film that does not necessarily have high artistic pretensions Mm -hmm. it's more a movie that is looking to make money you know and be popular cash in on a popular fad or you know niche market that it might be appealing to usually these films have a lot of lurid content Mm -hmm. so a lot of nudity a lot of drugs a lot of depictions of violence and gore yep you know that kind of thing so aiming for some mass market appeal basically trash cinema yeah and and coffee gave us all of those wonderful lurid elements yeah and so so that's exploitation cinema and then black exploitation cinema is basically taking that genre but then aiming it specifically at the black market. Yes, okay. Right. Great. So the black exploitation films were uh, apparently usually but not always action films. And the idea was that uh at the time at the time Hollywood was not particularly welcoming to black people mm. or their stories. So Black roles were usually limited to being a criminal or a maid, Hmm. you know? So uh, uh, this is something I found. Prior to 1970, only six black people had ever gotten Oscar nominations, and only two people had ever won. Wow. That was um, Hattie McDaniel for Gone with the Wind and Sidney Poitier for Lilies of the Field. Hmm. And note that in those roles, those are, you know, that's... uh, a servant character mm-hmm. or i mean it's gone with the wind she's a slave right and um have you seen lilies of the field i haven't well it's a good movie but um sydney poitier is playing a character who's d- he's pitched very specifically to be like quote-unquote safe to the white mass market so mm. he's very like he's this embodiment of like goodness and he's not quote-unquote threatening to white you know what i mean yeah you know so he's and also kind of um asexual you know he he, so so all all those things that you know make white people uncomfortable not present in the roles right prior to this genre of getting getting popular Hmm. interesting yeah yeah so um there were examples of what you might call black exploitation movies and certainly there was black cinema prior to the 1970s, but this really starts to explode in the 70s. So the king of them all that really kicked off the whole genre is a movie called Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that one? Uh, yes, that's the one that Django Unchained is based on. Oh, really? Yes. I don't know if their plots are necessarily the same, but I guess there might be some similarities it's a very loose quentin tarantino adaptation but Mm. that it's my understanding is that it's largely inspired by that yeah well anyway um it's a movie that was made by this guy melvin van peebles 
And it is the source for the title of what might be my favorite episode of The Simpsons, Seymour Skinner's Badass Song. Oh, that's right. That is the episode where Bart brings Santa's little helper to the school and he gets stuck in the vents and then Skinner gets fired. Right. Also, groundskeeper Willie has to grease himself up. Grease me up, woman! Greased Scotsman! Yeah, well, that's the episode where we get reference to another pod favorite, Alien. Yes. A lot of references in that episode. And also, it's one of those ones that's A, really funny, but B, it has a a very sweet emotional through line, because once Skinner is fired, he and Bart develop a pretty cute relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We'll always have the laundromat. That's right. Ah, yes. Yeah, so anyway. episode. Yeah. Um... But we digress. (laughs) We do indeed. Um, So other films that fit into the genre that you may have heard of. So yes, there's Shaft, which you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Foxy Brown, which we talked about. There's also The Mac. The Mac. Superfly. Oh, of course, Superfly. You'll have at least heard of the soundtrack. Yep. And um, to give an example that's not an action movie, but a different mix of genres, Blackula. Blackula. Of course. Right. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, even after the heyday, you've got later examples of this. So you've got the Shaft remake. And now, as we're recording, remakes. Mm-hmm. Or I don't know if this new one's like a, a sequel or a reboot to that old one. But. They don't make it clear by giving the movies the exact same title. <laughs> right? There's no subtitle. They're both just called Shaft. And they both star Sam L. Jackson. Yeah, and I think Richard Roundtree is in, uh, I didn't see the old Sam Jackson one, but I think he's in the trailer for the new one that's just coming out. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, there's also Jackie Brown, the Tarantino film, and Black Dynamite, the parody, amongst other, you know, uh, parodies, I think, Undercover Brother. Right. I'm Gonna Get You Sucka. Yep. You know, those movies. Right. So, uh, a few of the uh, key elements I see pop up from time to time are... um, Funky soundtracks, yep. which you mentioned and which we got in this movie. Mm-hmm. Violence, particularly very lurid violence, and an anti-establishment message. Yes. So, yeah. Now, there are criticisms that are commonly raised about this genre, which are that um, they often tend to provide very stereotypical portrayals of black people and black life. Mm. And there's a lot of depictions of drug dealing, drug use, violence, promiscuity. And the question then becomes, well, okay, are these movies depicting these things because that's just being real about depicting, excuse me, because that's just being real about depicting the reality of black life or are they glorifying these things, Mm. you know, and or are they just focusing on them because they're you know, lure these one exploitation cinema. Exploitation That's what the people want to see. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it probably depends on the film. Right. But so so that's a little bit of background on black exploitation. There you go. Cool. Yeah. To answer your question. Great. Yeah. I I feel wonderfully educated now. Nice. Then the last thing I want to get into as a backgroundy piece is uh, the tagline for this movie. So this movie is called Coffee. Hmm. We are, in fact, drinking some coffee right now. Yes, nice little reveal. Yeah, because, well, the it's a little late at night, and we got to keep our energy up, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, um, the tagline to this movie is, they call her coffee, and she'll cream you. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good, right? Yeah. All right, so um, let's talk about the director and the directing of this film a little mm-hmm. bit. 
So the director is this guy named Jack Hill, who is well known uh, as a director, particularly within the genre. So he directed this. He also made Foxy Brown. Mm-hmm. So I uh, worked with Pam Greer a bunch. Okay. He also made a couple movies called The Big Bird Cage, Switchblade Sisters. Those are the ones that I saw come up most often related okay. to his name. I haven't seen them, but and uh, yeah, known for exploitation films and also for exploitation films that had a particular uh, feminist bent to them, mm-hmm. or at least more than normal. Think about him though when uh, I was looking him up. White, interesting, right? Yeah, yeah. I least... was just thinking about Quentin Tarantino because. Obviously, yeah, we're going to talk about is, him. This is a, a director of, that he had, must admire. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, we can explore that. Yeah, we'll, we'll look at that. But well, uh, just talking about uh, Jack Hill uh, in this movie, what did you think of the directing? I thought it was great. I mean, you know, the it just felt so classically 70s. It sure did. The um, All the design of everything. And I mean, like you know i wonder how much because nowadays if you do that you would be like oh my god that set designer did such a great job recreating the 70s yeah but this is just like well they just it, shot it's just the 70s, yeah, the 70s right yeah. i know so i don't know how much credit to give him for that but i still loved it yeah that's right and well and and i also felt like the the timing and the the setup of the shots and the the lighting that we had in the action scenes i i thought it was all solid you know yeah 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 uh i I thought the movie had a nice brisk pace and Mm -hmm. it uh you know never really lagged or anything like that right just you know the whole time i was just really enjoying myself Mm -hmm. you know the directing wasn't flashy or anything but got the job done yep and he knew what the audience wanted and that's Great kills and, and a lot of boobs, lots <laughs> and lots of that. So thank you, Jack Hill. You gave us what we wanted. You gave us that smack. <laughs> that That's smack right. that we need. Uh, okay. And so then there's the cast and the acting. So number one with a bullet, Pam Greer. Oh my goodness, she was fantastic. She's great. She's awesome. I, you know, so Jackie Brown, from my memory, is just a much more like straight-laced movie like it's a more conservative film even yeah. though i you know i feel like it was some uh what he quentin tarantino was trying to do a pastiche of this genre but this movie was a lot more fun and she was a much more exciting presence in this film than in jackie brown i was really pleasantly surprised yeah yeah i mean she had incredible range i mean so it just in talking about assessing her character you know where where she stood on the the stoic to vulnerable scale she feigned vulnerability in order to to strike and yeah. sneak and that was uh was awesome she was obviously a badass who wasn't uh you know who was out for blood and revenge and she's also a cool customer when it was needed yeah that's right very very clever resourceful yeah yeah but you know she also did occasionally get in over her head yeah and on occasion she was emotionally vulnerable yeah and and scared Mm yeah you know uh, so if i do have one so jack hill wrote as well as directed this movie and it may have affected another thing that we're going to talk about in a minute but um one thing i would say is there were occasionally times where the dialogue was a little clunky Mm -hmm. 
And I feel like she was sometimes saddled with some of the clunkiest, like the most expository, you know, like when she's meeting uh, Carter for the first time, she's like, oh, man, Carter, I remember what you're like. You're just like the kind of guy who would. And then it's like a long rambling sentence Mm -hmm. about like some hijinks he got up to. Yeah. And it's just like, but, you know, she delivered the line with aplomb. Yeah. And also what I what I kept thinking is that, um. She has that quality, uh, that movie star quality, where it doesn't really, it's even beyond acting. It's more just like screen presence yes. and, and charisma. Yeah. Yeah, she's got that. She's got that going on, for yeah. sure. She's the center of attention. Oh, the camera loves her. these scenes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially her face. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, I mean, and so just to, to go to the whole, like, sex symbol thing i mean she's smoking hot she's totally gorgeous let's talk about booker bradshaw who played howard brunswick her dirty politician boyfriend Mm. he was fun yeah he was he he had that that classic nerd look going on with those glasses Mm -hmm. and he did a good job i really like the scene where they're walking with him in the park doing a with the jacket the flipped campaign. over their shoulder yeah. just like so politician-y yeah it, it they got a nice shot on that 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 felt real yeah and also it's like the whole movie has been taking place like in these seedy bars and in like you know uh, like uh, along the sides of freeways like run down places i mean a few nice spots but the nice spots are always like where there are a lot of hookers around and then yeah. like for the politician when he's trying to run for office he found like the one nice park that they could walk right. in right it's like let's let's get our photo up here at the park yeah yeah change the scene while we make a campaign video here campaign full of lies campaign of lies cover ups um, there's robert decoy or Duque, as King George. I loved this dude. Yeah, King George was great. And I loved the fact that they had the, like, only could have happened in the 70s introduction music. Dude, okay, so... George, George. Number one, (laughs) you got yourself a 70s pimp. And then two, he's such a 70s pimp that he has his own theme song. In which they actually say, he's a pimp. And the quality of... So, in that song, when that line comes up, it, it it's delivered in such a way where... So, it, it's meant to be, I think, the way we understand it as part of modern slang, where it's like, oh, he's a pimp. Like, this guy's a player. He gets a lot of pussy. He's, like, really good with ladies. Mm-hmm. But the line is delivered in the style of just being informative. Yes. You know, so it's like... <laughs> It's King George. He's a pimp. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. By the way, that yellow suit he's in didn't get that across. Thank you. <laughs> he's a pimp. He's a pimp. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, I thought he was awesome. Uh, William Elliot played Carter, her police officer friend. The one honest guy on the force, it seems like. Carter was good. I felt like he had a uh, not a huge, rich storyline to work with. No, he wasn't around that long. I thought he'd be a bigger role. Yeah. But that's okay. Alan Arbus played Vitroni, the gangster. Uh, now, which one was he? The sleazy... Uh... The main gangster who she kills in the pool at the end. Yeah, yeah. 
he was fine. He was fine. He, you know, he played, he played a good slimy. Yeah, he was good at know. slime. Not a very colorful part, really, but who was colorful and who was memorable was Sid Haig as Omar, his henchman. Yeah, the bald guy. Yeah. Yeah. Did you, uh, do you recognize him at all? Uh, he did look familiar now that you mention it, but I couldn't put my finger on what he might be from. Have you ever seen House of a Thousand Corpses or The Devil's Rejects? No. So those are both horror movies directed by Rob Zombie, and it's a similar situation here where Rob Zombie wanted to do homages to the grindhouse horror films of his youth, the Mm -hmm. same way Quentin Tarantino did, and so he also found... Uh, you know, the, the actors who he remembered from those and gave them roles in his movies. So Sid Haig shows up in those movies mm. is where I know him from. I see. And this is the first time I'm seeing him in the actual, like, original work that Rob Zombie would have seen him in yeah. to begin with. And he's so good. He's so fun. Yeah, he's 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 really great. Oh, he's funny and menacing and memorable. I just, and his death is hilarious. I don't know. I just, I thought he was great. Yep. Yeah, so. Yeah, agree. All right, cool. Well, we're going to talk about the plot. Let's check in with some of our predictions about the movie. Mm-hmm. So, number one, just to throw it out there. So, in reading about black exploitation cinema, I had to make the choice about what movie to do. And I was leaning towards either doing Foxy Brown or Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. I wound up choosing this one because it kept coming up as being, A, one of the best examples of the genre. And B, uh, apparently particularly well made for the genre, and C, um, as having more of a feminist bent than is typical for black exploitation, which will usually have a black empowerment message, but that doesn't always extend to women, mm-hmm. which is often the case, right? Where yeah, that's right. You know, now we try to be more intersectional, but yes, wasn't the case beforehand. So right. I thought that would be good to get with this movie, too. So that was part of what was fed my thinking on this, mm-hmm. making this choice of uh, of movie to do. And this film, I think, provided that. Yeah. Because she was a badass, strong female superhero, not superhero, but like hero. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I like that. So this was definitely the style of film where um, it wasn't someone raising themselves up through advancing through the world of crime this is definitely more the vigilante film absolutely a vigilante through and through definition textbook vigilante uh she did go undercover as a hooker as you predicted we got a whole lot of boxy cars yep yeah the bad guy so you you broke down the different types of bad guy that it could be and i think it worked out more as i said where like he was a gangster who encompassed all those different types so he was a drug dealer and a pimp and well i love it because there were there was an actual scene where they say like i believe it's carter who who says like gangster drug dealer they're usually all one and the same thing it was hilarious how there was a line speaking where right to speaking you speaking right to that yeah yeah um and uh yeah our bad guys were kind of a conglomerate of all of the above type act actors you know yeah um, I will say that uh, I did not find the production value of this movie to be particularly low. Like, it, it clearly wasn't, no, it wasn't a film with a lot of money behind it, but it, I, you know, it didn't look cheap or bad or anything no. like that. No, uh, the film looked of good quality. I mean, it was clearly made on a budget. 
Mm-hmm. But it didn't look cheap, if right. that distinction makes any sense. Yeah. 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 Um, and di- I didn't really notice a lot of continuity errors either. I, I no. saw online that there are a few in this film, but I didn't. they weren't like glaring in a way where I picked up on it immediately. Right. Like, there's, a, there's actually a terrible one in Scream. Have you seen Scream? I've seen Scream, but a long time ago. I think it's the worst continuity error I've ever seen, at least in a major motion picture. What's that then? The principal of the school, I think, is the character. He's in his office, and the scene is at night. And in one shot, the lights are on. And in the next shot, they're off. Mm. And he's in the dark. And it's just like, he hasn't flicked, no one's flicked a light switch. It's just a matter of him, like, just, like, turning around. You know, and it's just like, what the fuck? Or maybe it's the other way, they go from off to on. But the the point is, like, it's just, like, such a, like, it's shocking to the eye. Weird. Yeah. But uh, I did not notice that in this movie. There yeah, was I didn't um see anything like that either. There was some pretty obvious use of a dummy at one point. Oh, sure. But I thought that was uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. And it it the special effects weren't the worst for that. No, and actually given the situation it might have actually helped. We'll get to that scene though. Um I agree. So there were there were definitely crooked cops. Yep. There were racist white people. Yep. We got a whole lot of talk about No one actually said the phrase the man but there was plenty of discussion about the white power structure being set up in a way to keep black people down. Yes, especially with the campaign speech yep. stuff. And then, um, well, and also in the way to how it corrupts black leadership into joining it. You yes, know, that's, that's right. That at the end, yeah. It had, did you feel like it had much of a black empowerment message? Like you've got her explicit rejection of her boyfriend, the politician, selling out at the end. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, it didn't feel like it was no, a very political film. It didn't. I mean, no, it, it it didn't. It didn't. It didn't feel like it. See, that that's kind of what I was curious about going in. Would it be pushing the pushing the envelope of a progressive message to the viewer? And I don't think no, we got that. I, I think mean, the it, way it was anti-drugs, it's actually kind of a conservative message, right? Exactly. Do the right thing and reject drugs, reject crime. That's right. And yeah, don't don't try to do the wrong thing to do the right thing because it's hypocritical and you're missing the point if you're doing that. That being said, I don't think it had the most unsympathetic uh, portrayal of sex workers. I mean, there's mm-hmm. certainly some stereotypical scenes that we'll talk about, but it didn't portray them as... As badly as you might think. No, we had some moments, uh, some, you know, real seeming moments where we saw them on their downtime and taking assignments in a way that felt like, okay, this seems like, you know, just a day to day business for yeah. this person. But also, you know, you have bruising and and things and, and issues of abuse and yeah, that kind of stuff that we saw and that felt realistically depicted sure sure anyway let's uh let's actually now get into story points and the plot so coffee starts and immediately we get that funky soundtrack Mm -hmm. and i liked it we get a scene of a guy coming into a club and finding a high-powered drug dealer and he lets the guy know i got some tail for you and he lures the guy outside and there's there's our girl coffee in the Mm -hmm. car she's hot she's hot she uh, appears to be strung out 
she appears that way too. I also want to throw out though too, uh, she is not only hot, but she is hot rocking her natural hair. Mm. So kind of to what you were thinking about uh, embracing the beauty of blackness. Yeah, that's right. The the drug dealer gets in the car and tells his buddy that uh, you drive as in like he's going to get it on with her. And it's like, just drive us around while we do that. I'm always like, really? <laughs> anyway. And, oh, and the guy says, um, I just want to get high and watch. <laughs> yeah. Like, what? Okay. Right. I mean, you know, get down however you want. Yeah, that's right. And so then we immediately get our first boob. I mean, like a right minute away. into the movie. Right away. Yeah. And also, um, so I feel like depictions of drug use in films are not uncommon. But depictions, especially very like uh, flagrant depictions of heroin use mm. are more rare. Yeah. I mean, even Requiem for a Dream, which is a movie about heroin use. except for at the very end never really shows them shooting up it always kind of elides that with the uh what do you call it the hip-hop montage that like you know the like yeah yeah that that, that scene i think i just blew my mic out saying that but uh (laughs) you know that that instead of actually showing needles going into arms and things like that it showed that right this this was that's there's your lurid content yeah absolutely yeah the gritty uh the gritty drug use the real heroin use yeah but anyway so they're about to get it on but then it turns out oh she's undercover mm-hmm. and she pulls a shotgun out of somewhere was it ever clear where she got that shotgun i didn't see where she was stowing it all right well it doesn't matter because the point is she blows this guy's fucking head off and and we throughout the movie because she there are flashbacks to this scene from her point of view so we get it from a couple we angles. get it from a couple angles and it's and glorious it's so the special effects on the exploding head are wonderfully realistic Mwah. you know and uh, it's such a great <laughs> way to, to to pull you into the film mm-hmm. it really got me going although um i will say that they did need to give us that early thrill because they kind of lost me with that insanely long credit sequence yeah, that precedes it the credits were really long and they had that cool song the the coffee song yeah but coffee you know baby, for but... the actual film you should have just a shortened clip kind of version of the song going I, in I, and... I would prefer or, or at least, this you know, it's, it's only the song. song playing over just, like, B-roll of driving footage. Yeah, and show like, them going somewhere, reveal something. Something more interesting. Like, yeah, yeah but, give us more of a setting. But it's okay, because they pull us right back in mm-hmm. with a guy getting his fucking face exploded. <laughs> well and, worth the wait, right? And dude, we the line the she lays on him right before she does it, it's, um, this is the end of your rotten life, you motherfucking dope pusher. <laughs> <laughs> yes whoa no how is she not a bigger well i know how she's not a bigger star mm-hmm. but um she had what it took like the delivery of that line so good yes you know like in the 1970s version of the avengers she could have played a dope ass superhero mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so anyway we find out that she's a nurse and a pretty good nurse because the doctor, when he needs some help, he's like, you're, he's talking to the, the other word, uh, the, the white nurse who sucks. He's like, you're terrible. Get me a nurse who knows what she's doing. Where's Coffin? Get mm-hmm. Coffin in here. Mm-hmm. And and her nickname is Coffee. Her her actual name is, uh, her nickname is Coffee, but her actual name is Coffin. 
Yeah. Which seems like a pretty um, unencouraging name for a nurse. Right, but Both. a very appropriate name for a murderous vigilante. Sure, That's sure. That's exactly what she is. Actually, if she uh, was a Marvel superhero, that could be... Coffin. Although I guess it's more of a villain name, isn't it? it? Well, you know, for a hard vigilante hero, arrow style, think arrow, you or know. like Punisher. Punisher, killing bad guys. Punisher teams up with Coffin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that well, sounds right. Yeah. But anyway, so we are at the hospital, and it turns out that she's the the great nurse that the doctor wants, but her mind is somewhere else, and as she explains to Carter, her police officer friend who stops by, she's distracted because her sister got hooked on drugs and is now mm-hmm. uh, basically in hospice care because she got hooked on smack. Yep. And this whole thing is about her mission of revenge to take take revenge on all the drug pushers out there who did this to her sister yeah so that's where we go she and carter it looks like they used to have a thing and carter is still into it but she seems pretty over it yeah she's like these are different days now i know it's such a she lets him down so gently mm-hmm. so, sure i'll i'll go out with you but you know things aren't the same i believe <laughs> yeah i believe it's what we now call the friend zone the friend zone you yeah. know you're in the friend zone carter that's okay because carter's a good guy yeah he is he likes her but he'll accept that Mm -hmm. and instead he drops her off to go meet up with her boyfriend who is this uh, local politician Mm -hmm. and uh while they're there she notices that he's meeting with a high-ranking police police officer someone you know with some status on the force and uh there's this hilarious henchman hanging out there too this guy with like uh, an eye patch lens in his glasses and the mutton chops and uh, oh my god i mean it's a definitely mustache. a memorable look yeah i liked it 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 gave him the kind of villain look that you might get from a 1980s uh, spielberg movie mhm or like uh, dick tracy yeah <laughs> i've got my tommy gun back off one eye <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> oh my god so she hangs out with her boyfriend for a while they have sex there's a pretty hot scene where she pours a drink on his crotch and then takes care of that (laughs) very sexy and then she goes back to work in her old school nurse's cap you remember when nurses used to wear those Mm -hmm. i feel like nowadays nurses wear scrubs but it's not really like the kind of uniform that used to be so common in hospitals right or at least from uh, what movies tell me used to be common in hospitals. Yeah, it's just the scrubs today just seem kind of like pajama wear. Kind of, right? Yeah. Designed to get messed up by various stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and easily washed or disposed of. Mm-hmm. Not like those crisp all white you know, matrons outfits right. they used to wear. Yeah, sure. But anyway, and then she also basically nearly gets raped in the parking lot. You remember that that guy like comes up to her car. He's like, "Hey, baby, how about a good time?" Yeah, and, and then like attacks her when she says no, just like out of nowhere. Yeah, that's right. And we talked a little bit about this. Uh, uh, you know, we, we were making comments at one point during the movie, but you know, there are a lot of scenes here that couldn't happen in a world with cell phones or wouldn't unfold the way that they did. Yeah, although I mean, I feel like that scene could have happened because just getting attacked in a parking lot isn't unusual 
Yeah, I suppose that's true. But there's something you feel the the security for the attacker in a situation where people have less convenience to communicate with one another. Sure. But um, she gets helped out by uh, Carter, who's on hand, and they wind up hanging out back at his place. And um, not in this scene, but in the earlier scene, she kind of like laid out her vigilante philosophy. She has the vigilante rant. Yeah, that's right. And she's trying to be subtle. She succeeds at being subtle enough about it where it goes over Carter's head. But I feel like if he hadn't wound up leaving the movie as he did and still been a presence in the film... He would have been able to put two and two together. He was on his way as to the it. evidence of her crimes mounted. Deep down, he knew what she was getting at. Probably, I, I but think he so. didn't let on to it. But she was, you know, essentially like, uh, so if someone did this, wouldn't you want to kill them? And I mean, and, like, uh, the police aren't doing the job they need to. It's on us to take justice into our own hand, mm-hmm. don't you think? Classic vigilante. Uh, philosopher over right. here and also it's classic vigilante style to deliver that speech to the one honest cop on the force yeah that's right yeah, yeah. he's commissioner gordon if you can get his blessing then you know you right yeah but he's there to push back yeah you know they, except yeah, that's right not for long because he, as, as she overhears over the phone he has turned down participation in a dirty cop bribery scheme that's right and so the perpetrators of that scheme bust into the apartment and attack them yes and he gets savagely beaten mm-hmm. she nearly gets raped but then they wind up running away she does attackers. get molested and groped she does yes um so then we cut to the hospital and uh, carter is horribly beaten to the point of having brain damage in fact yep which is terrible however how is he uh how is he set up in his room he's trussed up in something that i feel like you don't really see anymore which is the hospital puppet strings style of bandages where you've got everything elevated i mean so is that something that they don't have anymore or is it just that like you don't often see someone who's that messed up i don't know but i feel I, i even feel like I never even really saw it in movies. I only ever saw it in cartoons, yeah. like say The Simpsons, that were making fun of those movies right. and and also trying to get across that uh, how hilariously beaten up someone yeah, was. Yeah, that's you know, right. So it, it's sort of like he's supposed to be in a dire state and is from their words, but my mental association of that style of hospital dressing yeah. is all comedic. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And and thinking about it now, if you had that amount of cast on and, and your it's, and but your it's also arms, the raising. And if your arms for let's just suspend our disbelief on that and take for granted that your situation is such that as you're lying in your hospital bed, you need your arms raised up at a certain angle. Maybe it's the surgery and how it's setting. You need your arms in that position. If we were to do that today, I feel like there are there are uh, hospital beds that have arm pads that would lift up, like not not these not put your arms up and rope them up by pulleys. I feel like we don't do that anymore. I think the technology has advanced, right? Yeah, I'm, uh, it must be right. I would hope so. Yeah, I think that's right. 
Because also you don't want people's loved ones to walk in on you like that and immediately start laughing. Yeah, pull in on the puppet strings, start singing songs and such. Got no strings to hold me down. There are no strings on me. Um, So anyway, back to the very serious (laughs) conversation we were having. Um, Coffee decides that she's going to take matters into her own hands. So she goes and visits an escort that she knows named Priscilla. And this is the first uh, of a couple lesbian relationships that we see in this movie. And also uh, pretty much uncommented upon and not like presented in any kind of judgy way just yeah. very matter of fact which i thought was pretty progressive that was that was absolutely progressive there was for 1973 know, yeah and but um she yeah she uh b- before um her old man comes back uh priscilla gives coffee some pretty useful information so the main pimp in the area is this guy named king george mm-hmm. and he works for a higher gangster called uh, Vitroni. Mm-hmm. In terms of King George, or what was it, King George or Vitroni? Basically, Coffee wants to get information that will help her infiltrate the King George Vitroni organization. So she finds out that what she should go for is to be exotic, mm-hmm. and that uh, she should aim to appeal to someone who enjoys degrading sex acts. Yeah, All right. So that's the info that she gets. And I, the other thing I want to mention about this conversation loops back to one of your predictions, because this is the first instance of the N-word popping up in this movie. Mm-hmm. And although it is said, you actually wound up being right in this prediction in that it was basically never used colloquially um, as a term of endearment, uh, I guess right. is the closest thing. It was always used in the classical degrading sense, pretty much. Right. Like the ER version, not the A version. Yes. And um, it wasn't used very much, pretty sparingly. Right. Only a few characters had that kind of bent to them. And it was uh, pretty much all the bad guys. Yeah. I mean, because of the way they were using it. That's right. And, you know, I'm trying to think of why I would have made that assumption that it would get used constantly. And I guess it comes back to the fact that prior to this, most of my knowledge of what black exploitation might be was filtered through Quentin Tarantino movies. Mm-hmm. And his movies feature an awful lot of use of that word. Mm-hmm. And I guess it's possible that it's just used more often in other films and just not this one. Yeah. Cause like we said, this one appears to have like on the more conservative side of a message, but at the same time, if it isn't that common in the films of this genre, then what is inspiring Quentin Tarantino to use it so much in his scripts? Right. I feel like, I feel like he is referencing this genre in like I I feel like Quentin Tarantino's use of the word is closer to this style than it is the like term of endearment term of endearment lots of colloquialism it comes up it it comes up less viciously and more like I want to say like but it's used very casually, casually and yeah. frequently is sort of what right. I'm getting at. Exactly. Which is different from what's going on here. That's yeah. true. So, well, all right. Fair enough. But I felt like that was something. This was a good point to point that out. So she's she's got the uh, the angle that she should follow. And she does. She uh, 
shows herself to King George as a Jamaican mon. Yep. Yep. Yeah. She did she did fairly well with the accent too. Did uh, she? At at first. Yeah. She kinda didn't. It kind of falls trying. away after a while. Yeah. yeah. Uh so yeah, so she presents herself as a Jamaican named Mystique. And yep. she infiltrates the uh, the escort service. And we, here's the thing about this escort service. When we first introduced to it, I did not realize that this was a business model escort services followed where they will make cold calls to people in order to try and gin up business. I didn't realize that. The first scene. Oh, yeah. I, it, we do see that, don't we? Yeah. She's just calling. Them, just, hey, uh, hey, Jim. You know, we got a new girl here who might just be exactly your type. Would you uh, like to maybe set up a date? It's like, really? Does it work that way? Weird. Calling up clients, being like, hey, haven't heard from you in a while. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was funny. <laughs> so she seduces King George, and I do believe she bangs him because we get that very suggestive cut from uh, his fireplace to the uh, popping champagne bottle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Which I think is meant to indicate sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that um, that champagne bottle kicks off a party scene with all of the whores and all the gangsters mm. gathered together. And this is where we first meet Vitroni and Omar, his muscle. <laughs> Sid Haig comes swaggering in and is immediately hilarious. <laughs> um, and just so he's just so much more colorful than anyone except for Coffee herself has been in this movie. Mm, just, that's he has, right. He has so much swagger. Yeah. A lot of our other characters are pretty uh, flat. Yeah, and kind of just stock types. Yeah. He's the one, he really shines. That's right. He gives a little something special. Yeah. Also special in this scene is that we get a hooker fight. Oh, a glorious hooker fight. And and the, the, it's, Coffee has managed to draw all of the other hookers in a gang up against her. She takes on like six hookers. Yes. And she beats the shit out of all of them. Mm-hmm. So, so all right, here's here's how it it builds. Oh, so the razors, man. Oh, well, I got her. So um so when 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 Mystique first arrives mm-hmm. as part of the stable of whores, uh the original bottom bitch is this white hooker named Meg. And she is immediately jealous of King George's attentions towards Mystique. Mm-hmm. And so she gets mad and deliberately spills a drink on her at the party. That's right. Ruins so, her dress. Yep, yeah, messes her up. So she has to, the, however, get uh, Mystique can use this as an excuse to uh, go off into the other room. And uh, she's found out where King George keeps his stash of drugs. And she uh, replaces it with sugar to, yep. to mess his uh, business up and get him in trouble with all his customers. Right. She also uses this as an opportunity to secretly stash a whole shitload of razor blades in her hair. Mm-hmm. Oh. So then she comes out and she retaliates for the drink spilling by hitting Meg in the face with a gigantic bowl of salad. Yep. Yeah. And that starts the the uh, the hooker fight. The to hooker end all fight hooker to fight. end all hooker fights. And after she's done mopping the floor, semi literally with uh, with all of the hookers but this bottom bitch she uh then gets into the final showdown with her and and of course you know it gets to a point where her the this uh hooker grabs her by the hair and then we get the the screaming and the the bloody hands oh it's so brutal Ugh. i was oh my could you imagine just like grabbing onto a bunch of razor blades like that not good like with the with the force of having wanted to 
kill her. Kill her and yeah. like grab her by that part and throw her. Right. As hard as you can, basically. Yeah. And it's a bunch of different ones. And you know it's that thing where like you grab them and you feel it, but the pain doesn't start right away. Mm-hmm. So you have that moment to just like look at it before it kicks in. Yeah. And just all the blood. Oh, it's so horrifying. Yep. Um a little less horrifying though is the fact that um as is the case with hooker fights, I assume <laughs> They cannot occur without every single hooker having her boobs exposed. Oh yeah, it's it was like it was like a, a, a that domino was... effect of each hooker taking her turn falling and her tits popping out as she fell. Well, I feel like that was Coffee's signature move was to knock her down and rip her skirt so her tits come out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and also, this is another 1970s thing that we noticed about this movie: no bras, totally braless society. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost as if they hadn't even been invented in this alternate universe that we're observing. Mm-hmm. But maybe that's just the 70s, baby. Uh, yep, yep. That's uh, just letting it be free. Yeah. Well, anyway, uh, Vitroni was as impressed as we were by this fight. So he's like, hey, that chick who beat up all the other chicks, I would like to see her later. Mm-hmm. So Coffee visits Vitroni. We get the N-word again. Um, yep. And it's part of his uh, his sexual fetish for degrading the women that he's with she goes along with it for a second but then she pulls out a gun and gets ready to kill him with another great line you want me to crawl white motherfucker i'm gonna piss on your grave tomorrow yep (laughs) oh so good well and she doesn't get him right well yeah if only that had been capped off with a literal cap you know, but instead, mm-hmm. uh, Omar, Sid Haig, has been paying attention as a good bodyguard should and stops her in time. Yep. And so now we find uh, Coffee in a pretty dire situation because she's been captured by this big gangster that she just tried to murder. However, the gangster rather hilariously comes to the wrong conclusion and thinks that King George has just tried to have him assassinated. Mm. So this lead- I thought this was going to lead to like a-, a gang war that took everybody down. Right. And well, and uh, Coffee does peg King George. It's true. She does use it to her advantage. Yeah. And so um, this is where we get the murder of King George, which is a pretty cool scene. Mm-hmm. Now, so Sid Haig, uh, Omar, the henchman, and, uh, and another henchman. Um, oh, uh, the other thing is that um, the two hench- main henchmen for Vitroni are... Omar, played by Sid Haig, and this other guy, Jake. And those are the two dudes who attacked Coffee and Carter at the house. Mm-hmm. And so when Coffee arrives, Jake recognizes her from the house attack. Yes. And so they're prepared for when she tries to kill Vitroni. So that's right. how they stop her. But so these two go on over to King George's place, pick him up, and take him off to be killed. And they actually lynch him, yeah. which is a pretty fucked up way mm-hmm. to go about it and not even by hanging they put a noose around his neck but then drag him with the car yeah and it's it's a a mechanic for delivering the violence required in that scene and to send a message and yeah, like send, i think vitroni yeah, says like kill him in a way that it that like, sends a message yeah. to everybody else so there's intimidation happening there but it's also just the the symbol of the noose and the lynch i think is is trying to like well, call I'm, not sh- out. I'm not sure if it's really saying anything all that uh, well thought out or trenchant 
I, I, I guess think the it's point just I'm sort trying of like, to make is they're not that if, far away from a time when lynchings were a lot more common. Yes. And I, I you know, I mean, look, it's obviously it's visually referencing that. I I just I, I'm not convinced it had very much to say apart from visually referencing it, but Right. It did wind up giving us a pretty impressive sequence where it's a combination of some pretty cool stunt work by the guy getting dragged behind the car and then he is replaced by that dummy but the thing i kept thinking of is that while watching the dummy getting dragged it actually worked okay because you're i just started imagining him as okay well he's just dead he's just dead yeah Yeah. or you know by then by then yeah it's just a lifeless kind of long right and so instead of you know it's not when you get those scenes where someone's been thrown off a roof and it's just a dummy that looks kind of silly Whereas in this case, they're dragging what is a dummy eventually, but the lifelessness of it instead serves just to make it more horrifying to look at. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And and they also do a good job of setting that up because in the beginning part of this scene, he is writhing around and moving. And then so it stops. They do a good job of introducing the dummy just late enough where like the very first time you see the dummy you're like okay that looks a little stiff and i can tell that's a dummy but like it's very quickly like okay you probably would just be kind of lifeless at that point of the process right right so then we get a quick scene of um uh brunswick howard her uh, her boyfriend run uh giving his campaign speech and he delivers what would be a progressivist black political message about standing up to the repressive white system mm-hmm. and especially the way it works hand in hand with uh crime yep to uh, trap black people in a vicious cycle in which they can never rise up however oh there's also a uh, a oblique reference to the vietnam war oh Run, run me through that. What's uh... oh? He, uh, he says, you know, basically the only options that we have are to become junkies or to send our children over to die in Indochina. Yeah, that's right. He does say that. Yeah, right. And because in 1973 that conflict was still going. That's right. But um, anyway, uh, so despite the fact that he delivers this message, it turns out he is in fact a sellout and is just working hand in hand with white politicians or at least uh, with the white police. Well, mm-hmm. a- actually, the guy he's working with directly is Latino. Right. Because uh, there, there's even that reference later where you have Vitroni, the police guy whose name I don't even remember, and uh, Howard all together. And he's like, isn't it great how we can get all the races here together mm-hmm. working hand in hand? Yeah. It's like, except to horrible ends. Anyway, long story short, everybody's in bed with each other. Yeah. And Howard's a hypocrite. Total hypocrite. The only honest people in this movie, as it turned out, were Carter, who's in the hospital, and Coffee herself. So mm-hmm. she's going to have to get herself out of this mess. She's locked in a sauna, and she uh, finds some kind of piece of metal on the ground. I think it's a paper clip. Okay, and uh, she this is her being clever and resourceful again. She uses one of the sauna rocks to sharpen it mm-hmm. into a stabbing weapon and pulls the hair trick again, hides it in her hair. Yep. She's yes, Omar. Omar coming. Mm-hmm. Omar dying. Yep. We'll get to that. But first, uh, she uh, is brought out to uh, be identified and were at least presented to Howard, who sells her out. Oh, immediately. Total dick move. Yep. Yeah. He says, 
take her out and, and kill, kill her. her. Yep. What an asshole. Mm-hmm. So Omar, a dirty cop, and another henchman take her out to uh, to murder her. Their plan is to shoot her with an overdose of heroin. But they got the heroin from King George's stash, which means it has been replaced by sugar. So she is, in fact, okay. She seduces Omar as kind of a like, well, at least we can get it on real quick before I die from an overdose of heroin. He's all he's feeling it. He's he's all about it. So he takes her by a uh, underpass mm-hmm. under the highway and uh, tries to get on with her. But she pulls that thing out of her hair and, and she stabs him in the side of the neck several oh! times. And boy, is he bleeding. Oh, my God. And this is where. So the henchman runs after her. And the cop is like, oh, fuck this, I'm out of here, and yeah. takes off. And so he's just left standing there with blood pouring out of his and, jugular. And he's he, Before the cop leaves, he's like, please, like, call someone to help, get someone to help me. And yeah, he's like, sure, oh, yeah, buddy. sure, I'm on that. And he's, he's just <laughs> And then he tries, and, but he's, like, screaming at her, like, don't leave me. Yeah. Oh, no. Oh, God, it's, it's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. And so here we get that, cha- you expected a chase sequence, I think you mentioned in mm-hmm. your predictions. Here we get it. And she's being chased uh, across, she has to try and run across a freeway, which, I, you know, I'm watching her try to run across. And I said, I was like, man, it would be so hard to actually run across all those things. And then the henchman gets clocked by Oh my god! He just gets nailed! It's so good! Yep. Oh my god. Right on cue, too. You're like, that's dangerous. Whoop. (laughs) It was like an exclamation point at the end of my sentence. It was Mm -hmm. awesome. It's such a good slam. (laughs) And, uh, And then the cop comes up to her and tries to do the same to her with his cop car, and we get a some some good car stunt work. And uh, I think for a lot of those, that is, in fact, Pam Greer doing all of that. Wow. Well, I mean, I'm not sure in every shot, but in a lot of them, it's it's Pam Greer doing some stunt work, which I thought was uh, pretty cool. And uh, she shot puts a rock into his windshield and basically kills the car with it. Yep. And it explodes and you know uh, in fire and he he burns to death he burns that pig Screaming. alive yeah hey man he got what he deserved mm-hmm. but not motherfucker yeah fuck that guy not before she gets a shotgun though so we get a climax of our movie which is she steals a car she recovers the shotgun that she stole and uh she goes to f- settle up with vitroni uh glasses the 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 hench guy with the eye patch glasses <laughs> He hears the car com- coming and goes to the door and is looking out and she slams him through the wall of the fucking house. <laughs> oh, Epic. God. I was so still badass. geeking out on how great that earlier hit with a car was. This mm. was fucking phenomenal. Yeah. Oh, my God. She's just she's floored it. From like a mile away. And they have that great shot of him removing his glasses and revealing his his lame eye. Fucked up eye. And uh, then just like the the wide-eyed look of panic as the headlights are about to hit him. Yeah, and then she makes sure the rest of his body matches Mm -hmm. that fucking whack eye of his. Oh, God. As if there's anything left of him after that. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, um, she takes, she kills that guy. She splatters, uh, another hench dude and Vitroni himself with the shotgun. 
but not before she finds out where her snake of a boyfriend has gone to. Hmm. And she goes after him. And our last scene is her confronting her corrupt sellout politician boyfriend. He almost it gets appears her. that he's almost de-escalated the situation I mean, he's, to he's, talk. He's a good politician. He's, he almost yep. sleezes his way out of it. First, first, he tries giving her the classic sellout appeal right. of like, you know, like this is why I did it, and it's the ends justify the means, and we're gonna. I gotta do what's right for me. You know, all of that money's gonna go back. You know, our our brothers and sisters are gonna feel the the benefit of this can't fight the system yeah gotta work with it i gotta work with it she rejects that though yeah so he tries the other approach which is uh, the emotional appeal yeah you know i love you baby that mm-hmm. almost works it almost does but the whole thing falls apart when some white bitch comes out of his bedroom and she's like oh you bastard yep and she blows his dick off <laughs> <laughs> there's this part right after she's done it the white bitch starts screaming, but for a second, I thought what they were doing was that she's blown his dick and balls off with a shotgun, so that was, he is now screaming with an ultra-high voice. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was actually the girl, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, I know, for a second, I was like, oh my god, that's a little... <laughs> uh, her balls now. Um, coffee's balls, but, uh... Anyway, that's the end of the movie. She's successfully killed everyone that she needs to kill, so she takes a nice stroll on the beach, and uh, she did it. Everything's going to be okay. Yep. And that is Coffee. Oh my god, dude. That movie fucking ruled. I really enjoyed it. So did I. So, that uh, probably brings us to a very important question. Not yet. Okay. Hold your horses. Okay. There are a couple of quick things I want to mention about the film first. So this movie had a budget of about $500,000. How much do you think it made? And see, this is tough because I, I, uh, in the 70s, huh? I'm going to guess around a million. Okay. I saw two different numbers. I saw two million and I saw four million. Okay. But the reason why I bring this up is that the interesting fact that I read is that most of the money that this movie made was via rental, not via in the theater box office. Wow. Which I thought was kind of interesting. Hmm. So I wanted I wanted to mention that. Does it give a breakout for what the box no. office was? Mm. I couldn't find it anyway. I'm sure you could if you interesting hard enough. Yeah. Then just a quick thing about uh the critical reputation of the film so on rotten tomatoes it's got a 79 percent critic score 76 percent audience score Hmm. so pretty close alignment between critics and audiences there i wanted to get a few reviews of this movie so on the pro uh favorable side first i've got andrew pollard writing for starburst magazine he wrote Coffee is a film that is often quoted as being the definitive blaxploitation movie, and it's easy to see why. Pam Greer is on truly iconic form here, devouring dialogue just as easily as she smashes through the bad guys. There's an infinitely cool vibe running throughout the movie, a classic of its time. (laughs) I also wanted to try and find some reviews by people who weren't white or weren't men or weren't white men 
Um, Rotten Tomatoes didn't have a ton mm. of that, so I went to Letterboxd and got some reviews off of there. Okay. And if, well, I'm not actually sure if I'm right about this. I was just going off the avatars, so. Okay, so it's. I'm guessing case. that people are presenting themselves honestly there, mm. but who knows. So um, user Silent J on Letterboxd wrote, if you only see one black exploitation flick in your life, this has to be it. Mm. And then Sophie B on Letterboxd wrote, always a complete delight to see a genre film deliver on all the sleaze and violence an audience would demand from such a film, but combine it with smart filmmaking and deep conviction. Mm. That I think really nails this movie. Absolutely. It was. It had. It has all that like sleazy B movie content, but, but it's, it's just confident. so. It's yeah, confidently I, portrayed. I, I like that. I like that a lot. It's really confident. Yeah, and I just. It's just such a pleasure to watch. Mm-hmm. It goes down so easy. Like if it. Oh, if you cut the movie to ribbons, basically, and like all the most graphic portrayals of drug use, boobs, and violence. So you know, probably like a third of the movie. Yeah. You this could very easily be a Saturday afternoon film. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I feel like it would go down even if you made all those cuts. Yes, it's the best parts of the movie, but like I could easily see this airing on a Saturday afternoon with those removed, and you would still get the gist of the plot. Yeah, you would absolutely. And I feel feel like you could still enjoy watching it. You could. It would yeah. go down nice and easy if you took all of the scenes of graphic violence and cut them. You could infer them. Well, there's nudity. You have to cut as well. So that hooker fight is going to be really messed up. But um, it will. But the central thing, I mean, the spilling of the drinks and the spilling, you know, and some of the throwing people around. You you can get get the plot across even cutting that stuff out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So on the negative side, I just wanted to do one of these. This is Josh Larson writing for. Well, he's from Film Spotting, but he's writing for Larson on film. He wrote. Coffee is at once a notable moment in female empowerment cinema and a pervasive exercise in the objectification of women. Hmm. It's as if Gloria Steinem wrote a screenplay that was then handed off to Hugh Hefner to direct. And then later he writes, are these righteous breasts or breasts of righteousness? Can they really be both at once? Hmm. So, I mean, he does have a point that uh, there is an awful lot of appeal to the male gaze in this movie yep but that's exploitation cinema right that is apparently and it's also yeah it's exploitation cinema at in the 70s that's what you get you get tits yeah i feel like the answer is not to have less tits we should just have more dongs right just balance it out yeah make it uh equitable yeah Give, give the ladies a little bit more to enjoy, and then uh, you got the perfect film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then lastly, just as notes about this movie's legacy, it is considered to be one of the best of the black exploitation genre, which is why I picked it. And it is a favorite of one Mr. Quentin Tarantino, mm-hmm. and one of the reasons why he hired Pam Greer to star in Jackie Brown. Mm-hmm. And so now, here we are at that question you brought up <laughs> earlier. And now it is time to talk about our final thoughts and feelings about the movie. Drew, what did you think about Coffee? Oh, man, I'm so glad I've seen this. Uh, it was it was a delight and a pleasure to watch. It was fun. You know, you can see where Quentin Tarantino uh, borrowed from some of the styles that were established mm-hmm. with 
probably this very film and this genre. It's um it's neat because I think I've I've enjoyed the cultural ripples from that. Yeah, it's genre. good to catch the source. It's nice to see the source and it's it is pure, strong, and good at the source. Yeah. This is a, a truly enjoyable movie. I completely concur. I had a blast watching this film, basically from word go when it started. And I just, it, it has done its job in my idea for this session and that it has made me want to check out not only more black exploitation films, but specifically the Pam Greer ones. Mm-hmm. I like it. This is an actress that I now want to get to know more. Yes. After seeing this. So, yeah, I, I really dug it. And I guess that brings us to the the true final question, Drew. Was this movie better late or never? Meaning that it there was something essential about this film that, you know, there's a hole in your movie knowledge and movie experience that had to be filled that this fills. Or if it's a never, that means that, you know what, if you'd never seen this film, who cares? What do you think? I think my life was somewhat incomplete before seeing this film, and it is absolutely better late. I could not agree harder. I think there was a gaping hole in my movie knowledge before I knew not just this movie, but Pam Greer. Mm. I, I, I just, I, I didn't even know what I was missing. And so I'm going to remedy that going forward, and I am so stoked to have finally seen this film and to finally realize what lies ahead as i explore the genre some more Mm. so better late for me as well and that brings us to the end of this podcast today drew it was a pleasure having you as it always is always having a good time please come back for more another time and uh, if you would like to contact the podcast please do so we're available at better late than never pod at gmail.com or on twitter at better late underscore pod Later.